scripture memory verse tonight, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Anybody else? Try it, read it, memorized it. I'll read it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my bread, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Good job. Thank you. Anybody else? Read it, try it. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, stay steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Good job. Anybody else? have a therefore so you always have to look to see what it's there for now you could go back one verse and it says but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ that's a good reason for it to be there for you can go back maybe to 55 oh death where is your sting oh Hades where is your victory the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. That's a good reason to look back for. I think it goes all the way back to the first of the chapter, um, personally. Uh, if you remember, Paul is writing the church in Corinth. And Corinth, I mean, really, they just a lot like a lot like we are today as a church everything in the world is there the spirit of antichrist is there everything goes they've made up their own religion uh, and if you go all the way back to even chapter 11 is what I just look back that's our communion chapter that opens up talking about authority talking about headships and head covers and then he does the communion and talks about us uh, examining ourselves and judging ourselves so that we don't have to be judged. And then he goes on to chapter uh, 12 that moves into when we begin to grow and begin to do these things. Now, of course, he's addressing uh, questions and concerns with the church in their letter, but he lines it out that when you really begin to have co-union or communion with God and judge yourself and listen to the Word of God, the next thing you want to think about is chapter 12, which is your spiritual gifting. And that how everybody has a gift. Everybody is a part of the body. Everybody has a place. Everybody's supposed to be running their race and doing their part together for the manifold grace of God. And how do you do that? Well, chapter 13 is the love chapter. 
And without charity, that's what it really is in the King James, it's charity. It's without giving of yourself, without giving away as Christ gave away. You really, it, it doesn't matter because you can have all the gifts in the world, all the money in the world, all the things in the world. And if you don't have charity and want to have benevolence and give yourself away to others so that they would come to know Jesus and they would grow in Christ, then, then you have nothing. You become like clanging brass um, is what he talks about. And he says, and so these three abide, faith, hope, and charity. And then he says the greatest of these is charity. Or, of course, we have translated it to be love. And therein lies the problem because then you change the, uh, everything that we do and everybody just says love is love and God is love and love, love, love. And all we need to do is love. But I like the fact that we say charity and then people have to really humble themselves to receive the gift of God, to receive the charity from God. And they have to learn not to rely upon themselves like they have done something and then look down their nose at other people because the Bible and God really confines us all to the same place. None righteous, no, not one. So then he goes on in 14, and he's trying to clear up, and he continues about spiritual gifting, but more about, for the first half of the chapter, it's really about tongues and speaking in tongues and how one person would try to make one gift greater than the other. And really, tongues is probably the least of the gifts because... You can actually fake it, you know. And so he goes on and he talks about a believer's meeting, how we should conduct ourselves, how in the believers, what is the outcome then, brethren, in chapter 14. And, and really everybody is supposed to be part of that meeting, in the believer's meeting, wanting to add to and give their gifts and themselves away in charity. And then we get to 15. And that's where we're at today. We're actually closing 15 out. But 15 is really... Uh, about our future hope it's about uh, faith in the risen Jesus Christ it's really because they some people were trying to overthrow the faith of these Christians even in that day and tell them that the resurrection had already happened that the rapture had already happened that, that you know and, and then even some of them were saying there is no resurrection from the dead because they many of them believed that there was no resurrection so when you get all the way up here he's explaining and that's your homework is to read chapter 15 completely, but he's really explaining all the way through um, the resurrection. He's explaining the flesh and the spirit. And he says, I was looking for, um, there was a verse I wanted to read. And I was reading it in something else and not in mine. Oh, there it is. No, that's not it. Well, he says, I die daily in verse 31. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Um, I can't even find that verse right now. But he says, do you not know that Unless something dies, it cannot be raised or it cannot grow. Where in the world is that verse at? This is not what you want to do when you come to Bible study. I was reading it on my phone. That's terrible. That's why I say don't do 31. that. 31? Is that what you said? Yeah. That's I die daily. Yeah. 
Yeah. There it is. It's in 35. But someone will say, it's in 36, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. Look at that. You can't say that, can you? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Listen. It, that, that's, that, remember we were talking about this on in John. Where Jesus, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit or no grain. And so it has to die in order to be risen up. And we're talking about the resurrection. And of course, resurrection is the hope that we have. I mean, Jesus died. The church was birthed uh, from the side when the blood and water was mingled. That proved that Jesus was dead and he had given his life as a sacrifice for our sins. The blood and water mingled, just like with Adam, God took Eve out of his side. Well, the church, the second Adam, is taken out of the side of Christ while he's on the cross. But the resurrection is proof that he was the Christ and that the church was there. So we have to have the resurrection. But resurrection means a standing up again. But it also means a recovery of spiritual truth. And that's really what Jesus came to do. They were mostly in apostasy. There was always a remnant. And here's Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is the word of God. And he came and he gives us a recovery of spiritual truth. Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Everything about our life is now hidden in Christ Jesus. And he has risen. And that's the whole point of this text. When we get to it, we're looking toward our heavenly hope that we no longer have the enemy of death. Now he starts, and I want to look at probably verse 50, as he talks about our final victory, our final enemy. Now this I say, brethren and sistren, look what he says, talking to the church, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, our flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. We're dealing with the flesh. We're beating the flesh into subjection. We're, we're, he is sanctifying body, soul, and spirit. But this body is not going to inherit eternal life. Well, what's going to happen then? Be, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, 51, I tell you a mystery. Now, this is not a murder mystery. This is something that's been hidden and is now uncovered. And he's telling it to us now. He's revealing it. We shall not all sleep, which is a euphemism for die, but we shall be changed. We shall be made different. It means to exchange one for another or transformed. We should all be changed. 52. In a moment... In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. See that? Listen, it's pretty interesting. Moment means it's the word atomos, or atomos, A-T-O-M-O-S, and it means a atom of a time. Like an atom, everything's made of atoms. An atom of a time. That which cannot be cut in two. It's so small of a, of a moment. Uh, a jerk of the eye or an instant of the eye. The quaking or the idea of quavering and reverberation. This trumpet's going to sound. 
and it's funny, I was sitting here studying this this afternoon, and I had hung up these wind chimes out on the back deck, right? And, and I didn't take the plastic off of them. They're brand new. And so when I went to feed the chickens a while ago, I took the plastic off of them. And I'm sitting in my living room, and I'm hearing this noise. And I can't figure out what it is, but it sounds like an old transistor radio that won't come in, and it's it's making this weird noise, and I couldn't figure it out. And it was reverberating. Those things were just barely touching each other, and I could hear the big, long aluminum tubes just making some weird sounds all the way through the house. I could hear it, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I had to get up. I go, I don't have any radios doing that in the house. But it was this reverberating. Listen, it's called a trumpet, but it's through the idea of quavering with reverbitation. That trumpet is going to sound. And then what happens, Greg? It says in 53, we're all going to be changed. 52, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And really, the mortal's talking about that which is liable to die. And then what's immortality? Guess what it means in the Greek? It means deathlessness. That's what I, I looked it up. And it's not going to die. It's going to live forever. So we got this body that's made to die. It's an earthly tent. And, and not all of us are going to die, but the trumpet sounding, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air. And thus we'll always be with him. And we're to encourage one another with these words. And this is really talking about the rapture or the resurrection of the church. There's going to be a resurrection of good, resurrection of evil. And we're all going to be changed. We're going to get a new body. We're going to talk about this Sunday in John chapter 14. A new dwelling place. Many mansions, Jesus says. And so our earthly tent that's made to wear out and die, it's made to fall apart, it's made to hurt, it's, going, it's made to decay, it's corruptible, it's perishable, it's going to put on incorruption, which is unending existence. Listen though, because there's a little bit more to this, this word incorruption also means it's going to put on genuineness, it's going to put on sincerity. But it's putting on a body that'll be forever, that'll last forever. It'll be our forever body when it, when it twinkling of an eye in, in, in a moment. And then verse 54 says, So when this corruptible has put on that incorruption, when this mortal fleshly body has put on that which will exist forever, and this mortal has put on immortality. Let me look at that real quick. Yeah, the immortality is the deathlessness. Then shall be, then, listen, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. It's written uh, in Isaiah 25, 8. Death is swallowed up in victory. Literally, death of the body. It's, it's drunk down. It's gulped. The entire thing is devoured. Death has been devoured in victory. It's the word nikos. Nikos. It's conquest. It implies triumph. The triumph of Christ. Now listen to me. Uh, oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? Listen. Listen. Right now we know this to be true by faith. 
Right now we understand it to be perfectly true. But it hasn't happened yet. It'll happen in the resurrection when the last trumpet sounds. But we know right now it's true and it will come to pass in God's time when the last trumpet sounds. It's interesting that O death, which is, you know, the, the literally death of the body, where is your sting? And this, of course, is Hosea chapter 13. Uh, the the, the uh, sting uh, is like a bee sting or a scorpion sting or a locust sting. Listen, this is actually really good stuff. I was amazed by it. But it's a point, a point of the center. It figuratively means poison. In other words, death. But it also, in the first usage is the word goad. Like a metal point. Remember over in Acts 9.5 when Jesus says to, to, uh, to Saul on the road to Damascus, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's the same thing, the sting, the goads. See, death has been taken, but we still have a goad where God is allows these stains to, to, to not just sting us, but just to move us in the right direction. And so often with the trials and the suffering and the goading where God's trying to get us to do things so that we can grow and change and, and be sanctified and cleansed, we kick back against him. And we find ourselves fighting with God all the time and we act like it's fighting with the devil or I'm fighting with so-and-so, but we're really fighting with God and, 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 and we're wrestling with death and we're wrestling with our flesh. But it says the sting, like the sting of a scorpion or poison. Uh, where is it? That, that saying will come to pass then. When the bodies get up, those that are Christ are going to get up out of the grave. And, and, and this moral, corruptible body, this earthly tent, my spirit's going to go into a new dwelling place, into incorruptible, a deathlessness. The body will always be, and I'll always be with Christ, and we'll never, ever leave his person again. We'll be with him because he's our husbandman. That's an amazing thought to think about. Oh, hell or oh, Hades, the grave... Um, I think King James says the grave, where is your victory? See, because the grave had victory over us when we were first born. If you read this chapter, you'll see that we were born under the first Adam and the grave had victory over us. We were born dead. We were born with sin natures and the wages of sin is death. But in Christ, the second Adam, now we can be changed and we can bear the image of Christ if we believe that and that's the new body and that's what we're supposed to be right now cooperating with the Holy Spirit to look like to be like to go to the world and be the light to them the little light reflecting the big light so that other people will see the truth of God they will see his servants they will know our love for one another they'll see our love for one another and they'll want to come and be part of our family when they see the difference in our lives. And so he says, the sting of death is sin, martyria. You know, it's missing the mark. That's our sin nature. Uh, everything, we pull back the bow. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually an archery term. We get a bow out. We pull back the bow and we shoot at the target. We want to hit the bullseye. And every time we think we're good enough, that arrow goes, boom, and it falls short. 
But Jesus hit that mark every single time. And then he justifies us in his death. He gives us, he, he, he gives us his free righteousness, right living, as if we hit the mark every single time, even though we know we can't. And that should keep us or make us humble and put us in a place where we would surrender to him. So he says, the sting of death is sin, missing the mark. That's where our death came from. That's where it goaded us to. <clears throat> and the strength of sin is the law. See, before there was a law, there was no sin. See, because you have to have that rule, that precept, that premise first. And so the law has, has the idea of a prescriptive usage. See, the commandment is... Uh, 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 an authoritative prescription and then the law tells you what the commandment is and therefore you say thou shalt not and now you take the prescription to keep you from being at odds with God or sinning against God. Old Testament if you sinned against God then you would bring an animal to the priest he was the go-between you would hold the animal's head still while the priest cut its throat and the blood would run out on the altar and, and, and that blood sacrifice would cover your sins it was a kofar it would cover your sins until christ came and he died once for all the just for the unjust to take away the sins of the world so they're completely removed cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west and that's what you know the law does it it gave us the knowledge of sin but the weakness was not in the law the law was perfect Converting the wise. The, 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 the problem was in our sinful hearts. We could not keep the law. We could not follow the prescription. That was the problem. And therefore, Adam and Eve got us the inheritance. Adam, of course, the New Testament says, not Eve. The inheritance of death. And the law points that out. And so the law, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians became a schoolmarm, a tutor that proved to us and told us when you'd say, I can't do it. I know what the law says, but there's nothing in me that can obey it. So it became a schoolmarm that would lead us to Jesus because he kept it perfectly for us. And it's a free gift. And so now because of that, we know by faith that death is swallowed up in that victory of the cross. We know by faith that the grave has no victory. There is no sting of death because even if we die today, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord for the believer, for the one that believes in Jesus and allows his blood to cover our sins. So we have this, and he says in 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's not his first, middle, and last name, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is his, who he is. He's kurios. He's supreme in authority. Jesus is his earthly name. God is salvation, Yeshua. And Christ is his calling, his gifting, his anointing, that he's the Mashiach of God that came to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we all have those callings and gifts and talents that we're supposed to come underneath and be in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in them. So he's given thanks to God. God, 
Elohim, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father had a plan. The Father sent the Son. God is a spirit. I got to quit though, because that's my Sunday message. We'll come. Over, we'll talk about it on Sunday a little more. Um, then there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've been bought back into a family. But notice, He's the one that gives us the victory, the Lord Jesus Christ, because He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law perfectly. He didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled the law by living it out perfectly. Not one jot or tittle of the law, it will go away until all things are fulfilled. And the Word of God will never go away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will last forever. Because the Word is a living person. It's Jesus. And so all of that is the therefore of 58. Listen, because we have a future hope, because we know there's a resurrection, because we know by faith that death has no sting anymore to the believer because the wages of sin was death. And now we have been, our sin has been paid for fully. We know that, that Jesus rose again and that because he rose, that's the evidence that the Father accepted his living sacrifice on the cross. And so the grave, where is your victory? The grave has no more victory. Now we stand victorious in Christ. We're triumphant over the grave in Christ and we give thanks for that victory to the Lord Jesus Christ so then in that context and of course through is the, the, the channel the, the, it's a, a primary preposition denoting the channel of the act because of Christ the Lord Jesus Christ therefore do you want to do the scripture memory verse Therefore, he says, we know what is there for now, that there's a future hope. Listen, your loved one that knew Jesus may have died, but that death is not, it's a going to sleep. The Bible calls it a euphemism for dying is going to sleep. It's not a soul sleep because the spirit or the soul goes to be with God instantly, but the body's in the grave. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that grave's going to open up, and the bodies are going, are going to come up out of the grave, but it's going to turn into a new dwelling place for that spirit that knows Jesus Christ. And what's that going to be? That's going to be a big graveyard full of evidence that there was truly a resurrection of the dead, truly a resurrection of those who know Jesus. People's going to say, the graves are opened up, just like the tomb was opened. The graves are not opened up so the bodies can get out. But again, the graves are going to be opened up in the resurrection so people can see that God's word was true. They're going to be opened up so people can see that they're empty, that the bodies are gone, that the bones are gone. Because see, just like Jesus' bones are gone and, and it's empty, you go to Confucius' tomb and there's bones in there. Muhammad's, there's bones in there. Joseph Smith, there's bones in there. And they're always going to be there. But one day the graves are going to burst open. And your bones and my bones, my wife's bones, they're going to come up out of there and get a new body in a twinkling of an eye. You can't even cut it in half. It's how quick it is. And there's a bunch of people that knows more than I do about that. But I'm not worried about that because that's in God's hands. 
What I'm worried about is understanding and believing that hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, encouraging others to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's what we're concerned about. That's why we're here. We've already covered, do not grow weary with well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We're looking at scriptures about weariness because when you look at the landscape today of not just the world but the church, the church isn't even living the gospel. And you look at that and that can make you weary. That can make you question your own salvation and your own deeds. Am I really doing the right thing or do I need to go do what they're doing? Listen, if they're not lining up with the Word of God, you don't want to go do what they're doing. Even when it looks like they're making a bunch of mud pies, those mud pies have no spirit in them. And we want the spirit in us. God is the originator of mud pies. He breathed the spirit into mud. He took clay and formed it and fashioned it and put life in it. And some enemy came and pretended it and lied and Eve believed that other voice, and she was intimate with that other voice. And I'm not talking about physical intimacy. I'm talking about spiritual intimacy because she cheated on God in the same way. They already knew the knowledge of good. And when they listened to the other voice, they learned about evil. See, if you really go back and look at that text, it's about knowing, having the knowledge, knowing good and evil. They already knew good. They walked with him daily in the garden. The only way to know evil is to ignore his voice and listen to another voice. And say his prescription, his relationship, my relationship with God is not good enough. I want to see what he's holding out on me about. And that becomes intimacy with a liar. Because this is all about marriage and what we're intimate with. Right? And whatever voice and whatever we're intimate with right now in our life is what we're doing work for. So we have to be very, very careful. Marriage in the physical gives us a great pattern of how to follow this. It's supposed to be for life. One man, one woman for life because God designed marriage. And that one man and that one woman is supposed to have be fruitful and multiply. And the same thing happens in the spiritual realm. One man, one woman. God, Jesus, and the church. And they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. They're supposed to bear spiritual fruit and go out and witness and tell others. And not just bear fruit in their own life of Christ-likeness unto maturity. But bear fruit where people would come to salvation because of their maturity. Because of their life. And the family gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's all hidden in Christ Jesus. Therefore, he says, because of this heavenly hope, because we know that death has been defeated, because Christ has defeated that, we are supposed to be steadfast, immovable. Listen, notice there's a comma. Notice that, wait, what, what, what do you mean? This is not talking about the works here. Steadfast and immovable from the faith. Steadfast and immovable from our relationship with Christ. Then he goes on with another point, always abounding in the work. First, we have to make sure what we believe in, what our faith is in. It's in a person. We're steadfast in that. Listen, let me find my words here. 
is I got way out ahead of myself and left out beloved brethren, be ye, because those all have some really good stuff to them, but we're going to keep moving. Steadfast. Listen, it means to, to be firm. It means to set. It means to be sedentary. Listen to me. This is the only time we want to be sedentary. This is the only time when we don't want to move. It implies immovable. We are settled in in our ways because our ways, Christ is our way. And we don't want to be moved from that. We don't want to move at all from knowing Jesus the Christ. We don't want somebody to come along that's a Johnny come lately with some new gospel and we begin to believe it because it's 2023. The word has not changed. God does not change. So we come, we cling to him, we believe in him, we have faith in him, and, and we're in his family, we're betrothed to him, and we're not moving from that spot because it's for eternity. Marriage down here is for life. Till death do we part. The only relationship on the pl anywhere that's going to last longer is our relationship with Christ or our relationship with the devil. We're going to be married to one of them in intimacy. We're either listening to the devil's voice or Christ's voice. There's only two places to be married. All of that started back in Genesis. Listen. Be steadfast. Are you firm in your faith? Are you growing in your faith? Are you settled? That Jesus is the only Messiah. There's no other Messiah. There's no other roads that get to heaven. There's no other way. He, Jesus is the only name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. Now, first usage is actually in a marriage text. In, it's in verse in chapter 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 37. Let's look at it. The first usage of this word. Is talking about your your virgin daughter, and of course we're betrothed as virgins, chaste virgins. Seven thirty-seven. Um, nevertheless, he who stands, see that's our position in Christ, as we're standing. Ephesians six, steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will. And has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. Now listen, why do I take you that? Because the first usage of this word is steadfast. But where is he steadfast at? Twice in the text it says what? In his heart. The middle of him. Listen, that's what we want to see. That steadfastness is not in our actions. Listen, people can be religious and disciplined and continue to come and clean the church. They can be religious and disciplined and continue to come to church. They can do all kinds of stuff in the flesh because of good training and good manners. But it's a heart where we go astray. He wants us to be steadfast, immovable in our heart because our heart is given and committed by faith to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where we're steadfast at. That whole text is talking about a man protecting his daughter and giving her in marriage. But we're not even looking at that. We're just looking at the place that he has settled it up at. 
is in his heart. It's there two times. Are you steadfast in your heart? Because see, so many people, they'll listen to other voices because they think somebody's holding out on them. Maybe there's something else coming. Maybe there's a better Jesus later. Maybe there's another gospel. Why is so much of the church settled up for another gospel? Because they don't like the one that God gave them. They don't like the fact that through much suffering shall you enter the kingdom of God. They don't like the fact that it's a lonely life sometimes unless you're in fellowship with other believers because the world don't want to hear about it. And the world is going to ostracize you. And the world is going to ridicule you. The world is going to do things to you. And so they go, well, I like this other gospel where I can be silent all week long and I can still say I'm a Christian because I said a prayer once. But there's nothing going on in my heart. But because of the actions where I carry a Bible, because of the actions, because I play on the praise team, because of the actions, because I clean the church once a month, because of the actions, because I do these things, I'm still okay. No, he wants us to be steadfast in heart. Because if we give our heart over, he can keep doing heart surgery through the word of God. And the heart is supposed to be following and obeying and not deceiving itself by just hearing. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Because you can be in church for 40 years and be religious. And you can think you're steadfast. You can think, I'm immovable. I've been going to that same church. Me and my parents, we dug the first hole to build that building. Listen, that's a dangerous religious place to be. What is your testimony? Is it growing? What is your testimony? Are you going? What is your testimony? He's getting ready to talk about abounding in the work of the Lord. What work of the Lord are you doing? Cleaning the toilet is a work of the Lord if it's done in the spirit and for the right reasons. But it's also a religious work if it's not done for the right reasons. And that's what the Bema Seat Judgment's all about. Everything will be burnt up, but you get into heaven as if by fire. See, that's the way we're getting into heaven anyway, by fire. He's a consuming fire. He's burning out the dross. He's changing us right now as we learn and grow and go. But are we even thinking about being steadfast? See, what are we steadfast in? Think about that for a minute. Well, I'm pretty steadfast in those sins, that problem, that argument, that I stick my chin out every time. I'm pretty good at it. When it's time to pick up my paycheck at work, I'm steadfast in that. Think about it. There's some things that we're steadfast in in life. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But what are we being steadfast with? What are we immovable about? Is it the gospel truth? See, there's some basic tenets. Virgin birth. Jesus is God. There's some basic tenets that we cannot move at all on. We're steadfast in them. We're immovable. But what about now when it starts talking about let's be witnesses? There might be some persecution. There might be some suffering. Hey, we're supposed to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Are we steadfast in that? Oh, I said a prayer once. I'm pretty steadfast in that. Well, what does that mean? Where's the evidence of resurrection in your life? Where's the evidence of a renewal of spiritual truth in our lives? See, we're supposed to always be on the grow and going. And this is in the text, so I want you to see it's in the text that we're not supposed to stop 
even though our faith is sedentary, our faith is firm, our faith is set, it's in Jesus the Christ, that's the only place it can be. Our bodies and our lives, our hearts are supposed to be changing. We're supposed to be growing and maturing. The other place, there's three places steadfast is used in the New Testament. It's Colossians 1.23. It's a couple books forward. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, or Philippians, Colossians. Never could get them down too good. Memorizing them. I memorize other stuff, not where they're at. I got tabs. 123 of Colossians. The church in Colossae. And this is the other place. There's three places. Our text is the first usage, or excuse me, our text is, is the place that we started at, steadfast, immovable. Then he did it in the heart twice in 737. And now we're in Colossians 123, where Paul says this to the church in Colossae, if indeed you continue in the faith, you see that? Oh, let's look at the other part. 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Listen, we're back to works. Ergon. Yet now he has reconciled by the blood of Jesus. That's our victory. In the body of his flesh through death. We're reconciled in death. Justified resurrection. To present you holy. This is what he's doing. And blameless and above reproach, three places, in his sight. We're always in his sight. Notice, the, notice now, here it is, preposition, if. If indeed you continue in the faith. See, that's why I'm telling you, the word here is steadfast, immovable, and it's talking about in our faith. And then in our faith, we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, we're looking forward by faith. To something that's going to happen when the graves burst open. Grounded. Grounded. I thought I looked that word up. Grounded means maturing. Grounded means you're, you're, you're sedentary again. Just like sitting down. Just like not moving. Steadfast. And are not moved. One text calls it drifting. If you don't anchor in and know that Jesus is the anchor of your soul, you drift in your boat. You drift away from the dock. You drift away from the truth. Not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Did you notice what he just said? It was preached to every creature. See, a lot of times people, I mean, we even sing songs, till the whole world hears. They've already heard. Colossians tells us clearly, right there, which was preached to every creature under heaven. The question is, is are we going to believe it? So, steadfast in your faith. Steadfast, immovable. There's nowhere to go. See, the book of Hebrews is written, the entire book of Hebrews, and that's where the drifting's at, is in chapter 2. The entire book is written for people that was going to walk away from Jesus. Well, wait a minute, Greg, you can't walk away from Jesus. Then why did they write the book of Hebrews for? Why would you write that if you go, ha, 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 you can't walk away, so just be quiet. 
We don't care if you don't believe it anymore. Think about it really long and hard. If it's not possible in your own will to walk away from Jesus, why would Paul, my opinion, have penned the whole book of Hebrews to try to convince them that, that Jesus was greater than angels? Jesus was greater than Moses. You know, Jesus was the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, and there's no other Messiah coming. So if you walk away from him and you reject him because of the world rejecting you, see, because that was the threat. If you believe in this Messiah, we've seen it in chapter 9 of John, if you believe in this Jesus, then we're kicking you out of the synagogue. And that's why they were trying to turn back because of the pressure of the world. It's getting ready to come again. It's coming again when we go to digital currency on your phones. And, and if you don't do what they say, they're going to reduce all of your ability to pay your bills. They're going to reduce everything going on in your life where you're not going to be able to live. You're going to be, you're going to be homeless just like they are in China right now, living down by the water with nothing. If you don't obey their rules, believe me, it's coming. The only thing that can save us is Jesus removing us of the rapture of the church. Believe me, it's coming. I don't know if we're going to see it, but I think we are. I think we're going to see it really quick. I think they're getting ready to introduce it. Maybe before the year's out. And I'm just talking off the cuff here, but I know they're bringing it out. And I know they already do it in China. And if you don't listen and you don't obey, they remove and reduce your entire footprint to where you can't work. You can't take care of yourself. Muslim countries have been doing it for, for, for generations. That if you didn't believe in Allah, you couldn't go to college. You couldn't get a job. You can't work. And now China and Russia and these people are perfecting it. And we're sitting here watching all this physical war and we don't see the spiritual war coming as a church because we're supposed to be focused on spirits not on the physical and that doesn't mean we don't do anything in the physical because we've been left here to witness and to, and, and to go and make disciples and, and, and to, to do the ministry of reconciliation of souls but we cannot do that by making a bunch of mud pies we can only do that by proclaiming truth and when you proclaim truth People have to make a decision by the power of the Holy Spirit with their conscience and then decide whether they're going to believe, whether they're going to follow. Are they going to be steadfast and immovable? Because there's a whole new gospel written. There's a whole new religion coming out. It's everywhere out there. Well, you can believe in Jesus, but you have to understand that Jesus, that Jesus created me this way. Well, you can believe in Jesus, but you have to know he loves everybody. We're all God's creatures. We're all in the family of God. We were all created in his image. But did they forget the rest of the Bible? Yeah, in the beginning, God did create us all in his image. But then we fell. And then even Jesus told him, you're of the, your father the devil in the New Testament. But we just we, we don't we don't follow the word of God. But it's coming a time where we need to be steadfast and immovable in our faith, knowing who we believe. Because see, if you close your eyes and you don't watch the physical and you just see what God has said, that's how you're going to have to live. That He's going to get me through this. He's going to get me to the other side. There might be pain and suffering and heartache. Think about this, because we've got some type of a crossless gospel in America. 
where, where if you believe in Jesus, you're supposed to be uh, uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you're never supposed to suffer. And you're supposed to have a great career. And God will bless you. And you can write you a book. Where is that nonsense at in the Bible? I'm serious. It's nonsense. They killed all the people that lived for Jesus in the Bible. They killed the people that witnessed for Jesus in the Bible. They beat them. They shipwrecked them. They chased them out of town. They cast them to the island of Patmos. All because of just the witness of Jesus. They imprisoned them just because of talking about Jesus. It is absolutely crazy what we call the gospel, especially in America. It just doesn't line up with the scriptures. And I'm not being mean. But we've, we've developed an entire church system based upon the culture, based upon what we want to do with our little platforms of Nicolaity. And, and, and we, we sit around, and if you don't line up with that thing, then you're dead. Just like the Pharisees did and the Sadducees did in the nation of Israel. If you didn't follow them, you literally had to be a John the Baptist in the wilderness. But that was a protection. God separated John the Baptist purposefully. He didn't want him to be in town getting indoctrinated and, 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 and pleasing men and, and being led by their system. He wanted him, them to be out in the wilderness learning from him. Knowing that he was separate. Knowing that he wasn't supposed to buy into the system of the lies of culturanity. I mean, we see all of it testified to. They killed all the prophets. They killed all the prophets. Jesus accuses them of it. And, and they started prophet schools, but you don't know none of their names, but we have all the names of God's prophets recorded. But you don't know, you can't tell me one name of a prophet that went to any school in the Bible. In fact, Paul taught in the, in the town of Ephesus, Paul taught while they were off sleeping, Paul taught the Bible in their school. He taught the true Bible while they were taking their siestas. And people came from everywhere and they cried like babies when Paul left. Because they wanted to hear him and not the false prophets. I'm just talking. Are you steadfast in this? Are you immovable? Even when it hurts? Even when the suffering comes? Even when pain happens? See, this is where we need to be. And that's the whole connotation is to be growing in this understanding this. That's why today is the day for salvation. Today is the day to be in the word prayer and fellowship. Today is the day is to understand and confirm that you know that Jesus the Christ saved you. And you got nowhere to go because he's got the words of eternal life. There's nowhere to go. And so you're all in. Because when they come and they say you're fired, when they come and they say this is over with, then when they come and they say, we're taking your car, whatever they do, whatever pain and suffering you're going through, if you don't do this, you're going to, are you, what are you going to do? You're going to choose the flesh or are you going to choose the spirit? Are you steadfast? Are you immovable in the faith? Listen to me. See, there's a comma right after immovable. Have you guys seen that? You see that little comma? These things mean things. I don't know English very well. But then a new thought. 
almost as if that comma means and. Couldn't you put an and there, really, if you was writing this sentence? Right? Because there's a series going on. So some people actually do that. They put comma and the word and when they're, when they're writing sentences like that. When you're doing a list of things that you're supposed to be doing. So comma, steadfast and movable in the faith, believing in Jesus, growing in the word of God, comma, and always abounding. Listen, while you're being steadfast and immovable, right now he's telling us that you should always be abounding. In what? The work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? Ministry of reconciliation of souls. There's no other work of God. That's the work that he came to do, was to die, give his life a ransom, that all would come to repentance. The work of the ministry of reconciliation of souls. It looks different sometimes, but it's all about souls, not about flesh. All about souls. If a soul is saved, then the flesh will be practically sanctified. But we have to remember that the only work that's going on on the planet is the, plan, is the, is the ministry of reconciliation. The atonement that was made. That's the work that's being done. And we're supposed to declare that, herald that, preach that, live that. And there's no ability in us to do that. It has to be because we are set and sedentary, steadfast in our faith, that Jesus has already done it and that he can give us the power to do it and walk it out. It has to be that. It can't be in our own flesh. It can't be in our job. It can't be in our strength. It can't be in our power. It has to be that we're steadfast and immovable that God has done it and he will complete it. He's done everything we need and he's faithful. He'll finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. But always abounding would have the connotation that we should already be doing the work. What work are we already doing? How are we already being that part of the body where we're doing the work of the ministry? There's lots of ways. I mean, you can pray. You can, you can study the word, teach the word. There's gifts of service and there's gift of the mouth, teaching. And all of these work together hand in hand by the same spirit. They're all given. That's what he's already covered here in chapter 12, 13, 14. But it has the connotation always abounding in the work means you're already doing the work. And then you superabound. Then you do more and more and more because the connotation of that word is to grow and go, mature, always abounding. It means at all times. That's what the word always means, at all times. Anybody get a calculator? We'll find out what all means. All times, in all seasons. Here it is, first usage is Matthew 26, 11. For always, always, just for the word always, Matthew 26, 11. As we ran out of time again. Where is that? For you have the, it's where, do you remember where, uh, oh, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because we got another usage with that, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we're going to have that in a minute. The word trouble is in this text, too. This is a big text. This is a big text. Mary Magdalene, or I think it's Mary Magdalene, washes Jesus' feet. And it says, and he tells, when they trouble her, we're going to see it in a minute, for she has done a good work for me. He's prepared, she's preparing him for his burial. It says, for you have the poor with you always. 
but me you do not have always. And that's the first usage of that word always, at all times. So we know that Jesus meant the poor is always going to be here. It's always. Let's get back to it. Always abounding. Let me ask you, what have you been abounding in? What are you abounding in in life? Oh, well, let me tell you what it means. It means to excel. It means to increase. It means what are you remaining in? The word abounding here is used of a flower going from a bud to a full bloom. So it means to grow and mature. So you start with small faith and you're abounding, always abounding. So it's got the connotation of growing to maturity, growing to the full flower from the bud, from the seed. You're moving all the way up to maturity. So you're not supposed to be standing still. You're always growing. First usage is Matthew 5, 20. You'll love this one. Matthew 5, 20. You Bereans. For I say to you, Jesus speaking, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. See, so you can't just be doing it with outward actions. It has to be of the heart. Just like we were referring to earlier, it has to come from the heart um, that we're steadfast in. The word exceed is the word here for uh, abounding. The word exceeds. Unless your righteousness is abounding, exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees, who they, they, they did. Jesus says, don't do what they do. You can do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because their hearts weren't moving. Outwardly whitewashed sepulchers, inwardly dead men's bones. And see, we don't want that to happen at the end of our life. We're talking about our future hope that that when the graves pop open, our bones leave. We go up in the resurrection, and we get a new dwelling place, and we're with him always. So we want to take heed to this and remember our future, remember our hope, remember our faith, remember that Christ has died and yea, rose again. Remember he's defeated death. Remember we're standing in victory. We're not fighting for victory. It's already over. And most of the time we're fighting God. Not anybody but God. Because he's now sanctifying and cleansing us. So we should always, at all times, excel, be growing, be growing up into a full mature Christian, abounding in what? The work of the Lord. Notice whose work it is. Kurios, it's the Lord. He's supreme in authority. Because I'm not being mean or anything, but there's a lot of work that goes on in Christians' lives and in the church. There's a lot of work that goes on. The word is ergon. It means your occupation. It means the act, right? The act of what you're occupied with. That's the work. But is it the Lord? Are we occupied with what the Lord is doing? See, because the Lord is occupied with, and the work the Lord is doing, back to it again, ministry of reconciliation of souls. 
So if we are occupied and in action, we go right back to the book of Acts. The <coughs> act of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So what's the Holy Spirit doing through us to reconcile souls? See, that's why we're supposed to be abounding and growing and coming to maturity so that the Holy Spirit can use our lives as a witness. The Holy Spirit can use it as a testimony. The Holy Spirit can reach back and other souls can see that there's a true living God because I see their life changing. I see them growing. I see them going. I see a difference in how they once were and now they're this because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Work, ergon, of the Lord. Once again, it begs the question, what are we doing? No, 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 no. Be careful because then it becomes religion. See, if you start doing it because you want to do something, you start going say, I just, oh, hey, I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to start doing something. No, 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 no. Ask God, what's my gifts? What's my talents? What's my abilities? While I do the natural, I get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me, and my life becomes the actual work. Because he's working on me, I begin to work on others because he's working on me. Because he just lives through me. He's just living through me. Same with you, same with any other part of the body. It's the life-giving blood that flows through my body. Why does my arms go do work? Because the blood's flowing through my heart, the center of me. Because I get direction from my head. That's the same way it works with the body of Christ. But the blood is Jesus's. The power comes from Jesus. The flow, the leading, the instructions, everything comes from the head. And tells us what to do. So when we have relationship with him, we have intimacy with him. We become one with him. We're having social intercourse and talking with him and becoming like our husbandmen. We're quite naturally going to go out and glorify him because we're going to talk about what he's been doing for us. We're going to go out and be that witness just in, just in the natural. And they're not going to be able to shut us up. But when we're not spending time with him, we're going to be silent. We're those silent witnesses. Sign language witnesses. I'm, I'm teasing. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Does it look differently? Yes. Does it mean that if a person isn't perfectly doing it, they're going to hell? No. But when you're going and growing and maturing and you're walking in and asking the Holy Spirit to use you and you're doing those things and you know that God is using your life, those are things that help you understand and keep your faith steadfast immovable because you know you're right there with the Lord in relationship you know when when you're married physically you don't find all those things that are uh, really just tearing up your relationship and do them more you know man I just want my relationship to be destroyed and I know this my wife just hates this my husband just hates this so that's what I'm going to do all the time no you want to be pleasing to your mate and you want to grow in intimacy. You want to grow in relationship. You want to grow as one. And that's the way it should be with Christ. What is the work he's doing? I want to be involved. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to be part of that. How do I glorify you? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Is glorifying Jesus. So the bride should be doing that by our very nature, our actions, our character, the way we look because we're being adorned as the love of God. For the wedding supper of the Lamb. So.
So in that, did I do first usage? Knowing, ooh, we'll keep moving. Knowing, see, knowledge is what you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing, see, what happened when they fell? They come to know the knowledge of good and evil. So who you know, is it's, it's a euphemism for uh, 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 intimacy with. It's a euphemism for being married to, joined with, knowledges. Like if I go to uh, uh, college, <coughs> if I go to college and, and I want to become a, uh, uh, um, I don't know, a nuclear physicist, I'm now joined to the material of knowing what that is. And so I give my life to it. That's a dangerous thing. If I'm only career-minded. I can go learn that if I'm already steadfast and immovable and I know that it's about souls, I can go learn that knowledge and I will automatically recognize anything that raises itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Or I can be a babe in Christ and forget about Christ and go chase all that knowledge and I'll let that deceive me from my relationship and intimacy with God. Are you guys with me on this? That's what happens. Because everybody wants to chase the physical and the career and the money and they don't remember that this is all going to burn. And it's really about who you're married to for eternity, not what you're married to down here. Because it's going to be a judgment seat one day. Who do you know intimately then? Who are you working for then? Is it for sin and self and Satan? Or is are you abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Knowing. Listen, that's the word this is the word I do where you get married. Knowing, it means to see or to know, to understand, being aware, considering, considering you understand uh, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because of this hope. See, this hope is what he's talking about. This resurrection, that death is defeated. You've got to keep your eye fixed upon the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and not on this down here that produces death. We already have life. We want to keep our eyes focused on the fact that we're running to win and get across the finish line and not just to gain earthly accolades and things down here. <coughs> so we have to keep our eyes fixed firmly in the heavenly places or we'll go, oh man, I'm giving my whole soul to this. And we don't mean it, but we do it anyway. We're like, I know Jesus, but my soul is committed to this. I know Jesus, but there's nothing I can do. I can't get to church. The next three years, i got to stay in college and just stay here. Because i got to make sure I get this done because I don't want to give all that money and be in debt. I was talking with a kid that was riding with me that decided after he graduated that he was going to work a year with us and uh, because he can't hire in at the beginning uh, of his degree and make the money that he can make with us. So he's going to work for a year with us and I've counseled him to live off of about 75 or 80 percent of that money or he'll be in bondage and he won't be able to leave us and go to his beginning field ever because he'll be every time he goes to go there they're going to say we'll give you this much and he's already making this much so he's in bondage his bills already have him in bondage and that's the way the system works but I always tease him and go oh you got college education huh 
and I tease him about it, and he was trying to tell me yesterday that, oh, it's a proven fact, statistically proven, that, that anybody that's got a college degree, they hire him for more money than the person who doesn't have a college degree. And I go, yeah, it is, isn't it? I said, but you've got to pay back money for your college. So are you really making more money? Because you can go straight to work in the field and, and you don't have all that debt. So who's making more money, really? And now you've got some piped up uh, 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 mindset that you think you're smarter than somebody else. You just learned a bunch of stuff in a book that doesn't even apply on the ground. And you paid a whole bunch of money for it and you're in debt and you think you're getting paid more, but you're really just paying back your student loan. I said, so don't be deceived by a bunch of physical stuff when you could actually just have been always working here. Your grandpa started the business. But I'm not, I'm not saying don't ever get a college education. I'm saying be wise enough to listen and understand that the system is set up to deceive you from your intimacy with God. And that's what they do. They send them to school and they send them to college and rob them from any relationship with God because they've removed God and we're a godless society. The first, what is it, the first uh, 106 colleges in the United States were Bible colleges? Now there's ivy grown over the scriptures on their walls and you would never know it. All the Ivy League colleges started as Bible colleges. Every single one of them. Go research it. They were, they were Bible colleges. The reason they're now Ivy League is because they destroyed Jesus in them and they turned them into the biggest indoctrination stations and it cost more money to go there. They were the first ones to get indoctrinated and Jesus removed. I digress. So knowing, listen, do you understand? Do you know? Because that's what this is about is growing in intimacy. Knowing, seeing. Oh, that's what this is, Matthew 2.2. 2. First usage, Matthew 2, 2 for this word knowing. I do, which is what you say when you both will at a wedding ceremony. 2, 2, is that what I said? This is when the uh, wise men come from the east. They came to Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. And they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen... That's it right there. Seen is, is no. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. See, it's seen. Knowing is seen. Knowing is understanding. Knowing is going and investigating. That's what they've seen his star. They've been waiting for his star. They knew his star was going to come, and they've seen it, and so they know it's there. Where's, where's he at so we can worship him? They already know he's there. Where's he at? They seen his star, and they knew that was the sign, and they came. That's the word know. Listen, that's why you want to be steadfast and movable. We know who he is, but there's all kinds of other voices saying, turn in here, turn in here, chase this, chase that, worship this, worship that. And we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's it. Knowing that your labor, another interesting word, labor, kapos, it means to cut, 
to toil. Literally and figuratively, and by implication, it means pain. Remember the curse to the ground? There's pain in that. Through toil, you shall till the ground. Uh, it's, it's the word trouble or weariness. Knowing that you're laboring the Lord. Now let me give you two things about this. It means in biblical uses, it's, it's beating and trouble. Let me give you two usages on this. The labor you're doing, the cutting, the working, the toil you're doing for the Lord, it's not empty. It has a future, and I hope there's going to be rewards and blessings. It's not vain. That means empty. It's not empty, right? Also, as you do it, it's not going to be without trouble. It's not going to be without suffering. It's not going to be without trial. It might even have beatings and all kinds of things we see the Bible testifying of. So it's on both sides. There's a great reward for it, but there also can be great persecution down here for it. So the labor has the double connotation for you as you begin to do it. There could be an attack on your character. There can be questions of your conduct. Remember, they, they, you know, church, you're going to church on Friday night? Don't you have a life? I mean, and they say all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, that's simple persecution, but it makes you think about, well, why would I go to Bible study? I go to church on Sunday. Maybe I should go bowling on Friday night with everybody else. All the buddies from work are going, and you start to think about this. And this, your labor is not empty. Your labor is not without peer pressure. Your labor is not without pain. It's not without some type of assassination of your character. You're just a Jesus freak. Listen to me. Here's the thing. Let's go look at first usage over uh, in Matthew 26.10. Because there's all kinds of things that can happen because you're laboring for the Lord. Well, what labor is that? It's a ministry of reconciliation of souls. And it looks differently, whatever job you're doing. 26.10. We were just here a while ago because this is the same text where Mary Magdalene is, is at the table and she's washing Jesus' feet. Remember? She's washing Jesus' feet. They're at Bethany, Simon the leper's house. So it must have been one of the lepers that Jesus healed or he wouldn't even have a house. And nobody could come near him and be in his house. Um, that's what I would draw from that. She takes this oil, pours it on his head, and set it at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Remember this? And if you're told in the other text that Judas was the one that led the charge because he stole from the money box. But look what it says here. Uh, Verse 10, but Jesus, notice it was aware of it. He didn't hear it. He knew what they were saying. They might have been whispering because of what they were doing. Since it was secretive and it was led by Judas, he said to them, why do you labor the woman? There's the word. Why do you trouble the woman? 
for she has done a good work for me. And then he goes on to say, the poor you'll have with you always. Me you will not have always. That was our first usage of the word always. But notice, it's the trouble because they're assassinating her character. They're acting like she's doing something wrong when she's doing something that's preparing the Lord for burial. Listen to me. Because you and I are going to do things uh, that, that, that people are going to look like we're doing something wrong, but we know we have a future and a hope. We know that we're supposed to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen to me. So sometimes it's, it's like the person who really does want to be that, that, that college-educated person. And they give up doing all those other things so that they can stay home and do their studies. Listen, we're not chasing the world. We're trying to be set and firm in our faith and abound in the work of God and grow so we don't do those things that they're doing because we don't have any fellowship with darkness. And we know that that can steal our intimacy from God. And so we're going to keep our eye on the mark. We're going to be steadfast, firm, set down in Christ's lap, stand in his victory, knowing that the rewards for this life come in eternity. Oh, yeah, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things shall be added. You'll have everything you need, maybe some of your greeds and your wants. But we don't want to chase what the world is chasing. So, yeah, there is a reason. There is a reason that therefore is there. Listen, my beloved brethren, we're the same family. That's what that's about. We're all of the same family. When you believe in Jesus, we're all adopted into the same family. Be steadfast in your faith. Be immovable. There's nowhere else to go. Do it God's way. Get into the word prayer and fellowship. Let him grow you up. And then always be abounding in the work of the Lord. What's he called you to do? What's your part in the body? And you need to see and understand uh, that our labor is not without a price. There's great rewards and there can be great persecution down here. Now next week, I'm not going too far for next week's verse. It's actually 1 Corinthians 15, 49. We just backed up to the last verse before we started seriously tonight. And it's this, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, first Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. So when I, we memorized this one before. I love this verse because we're born dead and we've been made alive and now we're being conformed into the image of the heavenly man. That's what this is all about. And that's why he started to give you all this hope of our final victory. And that's why he encouraged you to be steadfast in your faith because we are going to bear the image of the heavenly man. And that's your verse next week. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that you've called us and you will also do it. You'll perform it. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your instruction manual. Thank you for the correction of your word, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would say to the church. Help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. Grow us up, Lord, and send us out. And give us a desire to live for you and not to listen to earthly, sinful, demonic wisdom. Not to live according to our own heart that is dead, Lord, unless you give us life. Lord, so often we can just continue in ourself and follow our own wisdom, which is earthly, central, demonic. Change us, Lord. Change us now, Lord. Transform us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord bless